Pastor mentioned you're a computer at NASA. <laughs> Pretty heady stuff. Yes, it is. They let women handle that sort of thing. That's not what I mean. What do you mean? <laughs> I'm just surprised it's something so taxing. Mm -hmm. Mr. Johnson, if I were you, I'd quit talking right now. I mean no disrespect. I will have you know, I was the first Negro female student at West Virginia University Graduate School. On any given day, I analyze the barometer levels for air displacement, friction, and velocity, and compute over 10,000 calculations by hand. So yes, they let women do some things at NASA, Mr. Johnson. And it's not because we wear skirts. It's because we wear glasses. Well, happy Mother's Day to uh, all of our moms. Today we celebrate the moms who are still with us. And if yours is one, if your mom is still with you, I'd encourage you, call her today. If you're not going to see her, at least call her and uh, let her know that you love her and, and really appreciate all that she's done for you. And uh, as well as we celebrate the moms who are no longer with us. And um, if that's your mom, then spend some time today just holding some memories of her close in your heart and thank God for her. Um, thank God for her. The video clip you just saw was from the movie Hidden Figures. And if you haven't seen it, first of all, let me ask, how many have seen that movie? Oh, if you haven't, you have to see it. It is a must-see. It is probably, well, as far as my favorite movies, um, nothing will replace It's a Wonderful Life because of Jimmy Stewart, you know, at the top. But this comes in really a close second. Um, it's a true story, which always gets me, but it's a true story of three African-American women working as human computers in NASA in 1961-62. The movie is particularly significant to me because my mom uh, worked as a human computer, though not at NASA. She was at Cornell Aeronautical Laboratory and then Bell Aerosystems. And it wasn't until this movie came out that I realized what my dad always meant when he would tell me that, you know, your mother, uh, her job was a human computer. She used to have a job as a human computer. And human computer, what in the world is that? I knew she was good at math, but I didn't know she was that good. But she was a human computer. And um, when this movie came out and I saw this, I thought, oh, my gosh, that's what mom used to do. Not at NASA, but, again, at other places. Now, in the clip we just watched, you saw two very common things happening. First off, you saw a man putting his foot in his mouth. <laughs> How many know that's more common than we men would like to admit? Um, and you saw a woman's ability to make a significant contribution being underestimated. Right? So guys, learn something from this. Never underestimate a woman and think before you speak. All of us guys could, could follow that. Today, we're going to look at three women in the Bible. And the women we're going to look at today are truly hidden figures. 
Uh, they are often overlooked, rarely talked about, and sometimes even in dismissed. And yet they made significant contributions in the early church. They're found in Romans 16. They're tucked away neatly in a series of personal greetings from the Apostle Paul. Where we're going to start this morning, I just want to read a passage from and then a little bit. Hang on. Starting in verse 1, <clears throat> I commend you, our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centuria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachius. Greet Apellus, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those who in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who worked hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this passage today, I pray that you would give us understanding, help us Lord, open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to see what you want us to see in this passage. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So often when we're reading the Bible, we come to a passage like this. And if you're like me, you skim through it quickly without really stopping to think about it. Um, after all, Paul's just giving a bunch of personal greetings to people, right? I mean, you know, and, you know, you read through and you read through a list of names and, and that and you, and you just kind of try to get through it to get to the good stuff. Right. Um, uh, and, and many of those names in the first place we're totally unfamiliar with. And we have to stop and think how to pronounce them. And that's a challenge sometimes. Uh, but we do ourselves a disservice when we read Romans 16 like that without stopping to think about it. For example, when we read Romans 16 just now, did you realize how many women's names there were? And not only are women listed in the greetings, but seven of them are identified by their ministry and their hard work. Seven of them. Phoebe, Priscilla, Mary, Junia, Tryphena, Tryphosa, Persis. Seven of them. That's Seven women, that's more than the number of men that are identified by their ministry. The Bible doesn't give us a whole lot of information on them. Though from what the Bible says, as well as what history tells us, we know that these women were leaders in the church. And today I want to look at three of them. Three of them were them that were truly hidden figures in the church hidden figures in Romans 16 that we can just skim right over 
without recognizing the contribution that they made. The first off is Phoebe. Now, Paul uses three words to describe Phoebe. The first, he uses the word sister. Now, that may not seem like much, but, you know, and while it's entirely possible that Paul just meant that she was a sister in the Lord, it's interesting that with all the people that Paul lists, all the women that Paul lists in all of his epistles, he only refers to one other one as sister, and that's Aphia in Philemon 2. So these are the only two. This led church father John Chrysostom, bishop of Constantinople, to take note of it. And he took note of it saying that was no slight thing. Okay, so she was sister. Second word Paul uses to describe Phoebe is deacon. And here's where things become interesting. Some translations, you'll read the translation and it'll say, refer to Phoebe as a deacon while other translations use the word servant. Now, it's true that deacon means servant. That's the meaning of the, of the Greek word there. So does it really matter? I want to put to you that yes, it does matter. Because using the word deacon recognizes her as a leader in the church, and that's exactly what she was. In the complete Jewish Bible, Phoebe is referred to as the shamash of the congregation uh, at Centuria. That's the word that it uses there. And the word samash is used for someone who directs and leads public worship. Author and scholar Robin Gallagher Branch wrote in an article published at the, by the Biblical Archaeology Society that a proper reading indicates Phoebe was a minister to the whole church at Centuria and not one who served in an office limited only to women. Not only that, but Phoebe was entrusted with the responsibility of carrying Paul's letter and delivering it to the church at Rome. Quite a responsibility there. Church Father Origen wrote that Phoebe's title demonstrates by apostolic authority that women are also appointed to the ministry of the church in which office Phoebe was placed at the church that is in Centuria. So, if she was leader of the church of Centria, then, and, and, and some believe she actually pastored that church, she was leading the church, it met in her home, then why do trans, some translations use the word servant for her when the very same word is translated elsewhere as deacon? It's for one reason. It's because she was a woman. The fact is, the early church recognized her as a leader and a minister of the gospel, one who oversaw the church in at Centuria. But as time went by, the church was influenced more and more by the patriarchy of the male-dominated Roman culture to the point where they simply couldn't have a woman in a position of leadership. So then they started calling her a, just a servant, not giving her the position or title or responsibility of deacon. Simply couldn't have a woman in position of leadership. It's a clear case of culture affecting the church instead of the church transforming culture. And it still affects some parts of the church today. The third word Paul uses to describe her is benefactor. The, 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 the English word, or excuse me, the Greek word is 
prostatus. And this word tells us that Phoebe was a wealthy woman. And she used her wealth to further the gospel and at times even helped supported the Apostle Paul. Now, in the Septuagint, if you're not familiar with the Septuagint, it's the Greek translation of the Hebrew uh, Bible, which would have been the Old Testament. It's a Greek translation. And the reason that's important is because that, that was a very important document, a very important translation, because it made the Old Testament accessible to the Greek world. Uh, because not everybody knew the, the, the Hebrew or Aramaic. It was, it, it, they, the Greek was the language of the world, so to speak. So it made it accessible. And in the Septuagint, Robin Gallagher Branch says that the word is used several times, and every time it's used, it's used in the context of leadership, responsibility, and finances, those three areas. So she was a benefactor. Now I want to turn to Priscilla. What do we know about her? Well, we know, for one, she was married to Aquila. Aquila was her husband. And in, in addition to Romans 16, we also see Priscilla and Aquila in Acts 18. Uh, and we are told that they were tent makers, just like the Apostle Paul. They worked together in making tents. We know that from, uh, from Acts 18.3. Also, we know that like Paul, they had a traveling ministry. They had come from Italy and were co-laborers who worked closely with Paul in ministry. They were together in Corinth. They were together in Ephesus. They were together in Rome. And after they left Rome, they came to Corinth where they, where they connected with Paul and they stayed quite a while there ministering together. They left Corinth with Paul and came to Ephesus. Then after Ephesus, Paul traveled on but Priscilla and Aquila stayed on at Ephesus ministering. It was at Ephesus where they met and taught a man named Apollos. Now, this is significant uh, that they, Priscilla and Aquila, taught Apollos. Let's look at, at uh, Acts 18, verses 24 to 26. It says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately. So he knew what he was talking about, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And I want you to hear this. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Did you catch that? It said Priscilla and her husband Aquila taught Apollos and explained the way of God more adequately to him. It wasn't just Aquila teaching. It was Priscilla as well. She taught Apollos, who elsewhere is referred to as an apostle. And uh, more about that in a minute. But, but here's what's so easy to miss. Paul and Luke both of them, every time they mention Priscilla and Aquila, Priscilla's name is always first. And this ran totally counterculturally, totally contrary to the male-dominated world that surrounded them. According to Professor Ben Witherington from Logical Kentucky, the likely reason for this is that Priscilla 
was the one who took the lead in their ministry. Priscilla was the one who took the lead in their ministry to Apollos and others. That shows her ministry wasn't just limited to teaching women. You know, over the years, I've had people ask me, what do you believe, what do you think about uh, a woman teaching men? What do you think? Because some churches, churches teach that, you know, women can only teach women or, you know, children up to age 13. And once they're 13, a, guy, a kid's 13, they're no longer allowed to sit under the teaching woman. And that's just, you know, I, I, I've had people ask me about that. And, and my answer is this. It's biblical. It's biblical for women to teach anybody, men or women. If a woman is called and gifted to teach, now some aren't, so we're not saying every woman needs to go out and start teaching men, but if she is called and gifted to teach, then she should be able to exercise her gift wherever she can, wherever she's given the opportunity, without the restrictions. Now, I want to look at one more hidden figure. Junia. Interesting. What do we know about Junia? The first thing we know is that she was a woman because Junia is a woman's name. Now, that may seem like, well, you know, okay, what's so significant about that? This is where it gets interesting, because depending on your translation, and look at your Bibles, when you, if you got them with you, when you get home, look at your translation. Depending on the translation you're reading, you will either see the feminine version uh, of the name Junia, as we see here, or the masculine form of it, Junius. It has the S on the end. It is the masculine version. So why do some Bibles say Junia and some Bibles say Junius, the masculine? It's a good question. And once again, we can turn to history to help us with an answer to this. I was reading an article in Christian History Magazine, and this is what it said. Until the Middle Ages... The identity of Junia as a female apostle was unquestioned. Later translators attempted to change the gender by changing the name to the masculine Junius, but such a name is unknown in antiquity. Interesting. In addition, historian Dr. Barr writes, Junia was almost universally translated in its female form until the 20th century when the name suddenly began to be translated as the masculine Junius. Why is that? Dr. Barr continues by saying, Junia became Junius because modern Christians assumed that only a man could be an apostle. And that brings us to the second thing of note about her, and that Junia was recognized as an apostle. Now, before you go crazy on me, we need to realize and clarify there were more than just the 12 apostles. Okay, we had the 12 that Jesus chose, and then after, you know, Judas hung himself, then Matthias was chosen by Lot uh, uh, to take his place. So there's still 12 there you know, but 13 names. And then the Apostle Paul came in and he was added a little bit later. Uh, so there's there, there there's another one there. Um, but we need to understand that 
no one will ever hold the place of those men there. No one will ever hold the place of those apostles, okay? The original 12 and you know, Matthias and, and the apostle Paul. However, the Bible also uses the term apostle, and we like to clarify with big A apostle or little a. It uses the term apostle for others who had an apostolic ministry. For instance, it refers to Barnabas as an apostle. It refers to Timothy as an apostle. It refers to Silvanus as an apostle. It refers to Apollos as an apostle. Sometimes the words translated messenger and sometimes apostle, but it's the same Greek word. Romans 16, 7 says, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow, Jew, fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. So they were, they were, they were uh, saved before Paul, and they were outstanding among the apostles. Some translations translate that as prominent among the apostles. So that's quite a recognition. The reason Junia's name is changed to its masculine form in some translations, quite frankly, is because in the 20th and 21st centuries, our male-dominated society can't handle the thought that a woman could be called an apostle. Patriarchy just won't have it. But that's not what the Bible does. When you look back through history at, at translations of the Bible before, you may also notice that in some translations, instead of reading outstanding among the apostles or prominent among the apostles, some translations read well known to the apostles. And it's for the same reason, the belief that a woman couldn't be a leader in the church. But the truth is, when you look at the history of the early church, it reveals that women often held positions of authority and leadership in the church. Contrary to the male-dominated patriarchy of Rome, the early church held, held, held women in high regard. Women's, women stood on equal footing with men. They served as leaders, as deacons, as missionaries, as pastors, as teachers. And it really should be no different today. When we read the scripture properly. So I want to leave you with a challenge. First, I want to challenge the women. This Mother's Day, I wanted to focus on women, so I, wanted to, I want to challenge you first. I want to challenge you to take the lid off of what you think God can do through you. Take the lid off that. In other words, don't put any limits on how the Lord wants to use you. Let him decide. Don't, don't put any limits on that he doesn't put on. You know, for a long time, women have been told, you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't be leaders, can't teach or hold position of authority over men. But a proper reading of Scripture shows that you can do anything that God calls you to do. And that's not based on culture. That's based on what the Bible teaches. 
that's based on what we see in the Word of God. There's a lot of things that's, that, that our culture says you can do that, that is not biblical, that we don't see in Scripture and is contrary to Scripture. There's a lot of things there. So we don't want to just go by what culture is, is saying because there is a movement in, in our culture now. Well, women can do you know anything and all this. We're not looking at culture. We're looking at what the Scripture says and basing our, our, our values and our beliefs on that. So instead of listening to others tell you what's off limits, listen to God speak to you and say what tell you what he wants you to do. Now, will all women be teachers and, 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 and hold positions of ministry? No. But the fact that you're a woman doesn't preclude you from that. We don't look at gender for that. We look at, at what God says and what God calls a person to do. Now, I also want to put out a challenge to the men. And that is stop imposing limits on those God calls, equips, and anoints. This is something that I have been looking at for over 20, possibly as many as 30 years. Because when I read the Bible, especially certain translations, I read, I always had difficulty with a couple of passages in the New Testament that seemed to restrict what women could do in the church. And the reason I had trouble with them is because I would look at other passages where it's like, well, wait a minute, this passage doesn't line up with that one. This says this, but then this, we see this happening. It seemed to contradict. And along with that, I witnessed an obvious God's women who were doing what they couldn't do. And you look at women ministering, and it's like, boy, that, you know, God's anointing is on them, doing what they're doing. And yet, if you look at this one or two verses, what, what, it's a couple I know, both uh, uh, pastoring a church where, you know, I always said, my wife is much better preacher than the husband. The woman is a much better priestier than, than the man. I like both of them, but, but she was, you know, much better. And, you know, uh, 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 she was anointed. And so I saw God's obvious anointing. So, you know, I'd ask questions about it. And the explanations I were given were things like, oh, well, those are exceptions. Yeah, God used these women in history, and those were, but those were exceptions. Or, yeah, they're just doing that, though, because uh, God called a man, and the man said, no, he wouldn't do it, so you know, he wouldn't step up. And, and those explanations just never satisfied me. They never sat right with me. And then I realized I was reading the couple of passages that I was stumbling over. I was reading them wrong. And now it all makes sense. I don't have time to get into all of that this morning, but... Bottom line is this, God can call whoever he wants to, to do whatever he wants them to do, man or woman, it doesn't matter. So men, when God calls and equips and anoints someone, either male or female, recognize it. And not only recognize it, but as you recognize it, bless it. Say, yes, Lord, and bless it. Instead of telling God what he can and cannot do, let's bless what we see him doing. Now, before we go, I want all the women in here to stand. Everyone. Every woman to stand.
I want to pray over you. Father, I thank you for these women. And I thank you for the specific calling that you have on each one of their lives. Some are called to leadership. Some are called to other things. But every one of us in this room, men and women alike, have a calling on our lives for the purposes that you made us for. So Lord, I bless the calling that you have on these women. And I break them free in Jesus' name from man-made expectations, restrictions, and limitations. The things that man has said you cannot do, I break you free from that in the name of Jesus. And I release you to be and to do whatever God has planned for you from the ages past. May he empower you and equip you, go before you and open doors for you to fulfill the calling that he has placed on your life, whatever that may be. I release you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And now let's all stand for a benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be ever so, so, so gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to go ahead and dismiss. If you brought tithes and offerings, you can leave them in the boxes by the door on the way out. Or uh, if you want to uh, give uh, through online or in the mail, you know how to do that. Uh, our, our website, bloomingtonvineyard.com, and just click give button or mail a check to the church uh, uh, PO Box 32774702. Uh, I want to remind you, too, if the Lord speaks to you about doing something for our uh, uh, our roof fund to replace this roof, um, just make sure that you designate it as such. God bless you. Go and have a great week.